We are continuing on, actually finishing up our thoughts in the book of Philippians today. So we'll be in the book of Philippians again and chapter 4. Philippians in chapter 4. So let me turn myself down here a little bit again. So I had a man to turn away up during the Sunday school hour, so all right. By the way, uh, Amanda spent about 12 days in Israel last fall, and she took part of the she took the Sunday school hour today, or Bible study hour at 10, and we'll be doing that next week again, kind of showing us a PowerPoint, uh, some PowerPoint pictures of uh, of uh, her trip to Israel, and uh, very fascinating. It was very great. So if you are interested in that, that'll be next Sunday, uh, Lord willing. We'll have uh, the part two of that of that uh, of that presentation. Philippians chapter 4, long ago and far away in a small apartment type house in the city of Rome, Italy, sat a man probably in his early 60s with a shackle on one wrist or one ankle, the other end being attached to the wrist of a Roman guard. This man's body was covered with scars from beatings and whippings and from stones which were hurled at him in anger. He is sitting in his little house writing a thank you letter to some friends, a church family, for a, excuse me, for a kind and generous gift that they had sent to him while he was under house arrest. A dedicated brother in Christ from that church had traveled over 700 miles on foot to to bring this gift to him, and now our shackled apostle is, is writing a thank you letter to give to that fellow soldier for his return trip back to his dear friends who'd been so kind to him. And you know, of course, that I'm speaking of the Apostle Paul, under house arrest in Rome, awaiting his trial. The book of Acts ends with Paul under house arrest and simply mentions that he was there for two years. During his two years under house arrest, the Apostle Paul wrote four Holy Spirit-inspired letters, Ephesians Philippians, Colossians, and Philemon that New Testament students call the prison epistles. Uh, And although we have no scriptural record of what happened after those two years, we do have some indication from early church history that the charges against him were dropped. Paul was released and continued traveling and preaching for a few more years. Then under a massive wave of persecution throughout the Roman Empire that occurred under the leadership of the Emperor Nero about five years later, he was rearrested and he was beheaded for Christ. So we've been studying this beautiful thank you letter for many months now. We started in last June, actually, and this will be our 25th and final message from the book of Philippians. And that the question I'd like to ask you today as we look at this passage of Scripture is this. Are you a saint? We want to read the final section of chapter 4 again today. We're going to start in verse 10. I'm just going to read all the way to the end of the book. We've been looking at this section for the last few weeks. I'd like to read it again with you today. Thinking about this thought, are you a saint? Philippians 4.10, But I rejoiced in the Lord greatly, that now at last your care for me has flourished again, Though you surely did care, but you lacked opportunity. Remember Paul writing to this church who'd given him this wonderful gift. Not that I speak in regard to need, for I have learned in whatever state I am to be content. 
I know how to be abased. I know how to abound. Everywhere and in all things I have learned both to be full and to be hungry, both to abound and to suffer need. I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. Nevertheless, you have done well that you shared in my distress. Now you Philippians know also that in the beginning of the gospel, when I departed from Macedonia, no church shared with me concerning giving and receiving, but you only. For even in Thessalonica, you sent aid once and again for my necessities, not that I seek the gift, but I seek the fruit that abounds to your account. Indeed, I have all and abound. I am full, having received from Epaphroditus the things sent from you, a sweet-smelling aroma, an acceptable sacrifice, well-pleasing to God. And my God shall supply all your need according to his riches in glory by Christ Jesus. Now to our God and Father be glory forever and ever. Amen. Greet every saint in Christ Jesus. The brethren who are with me greet you. <clears throat> All the saints greet you, but especially those who are of Caesar's household. The grace of our Lord Jesus Christ be with you all. Amen. <clears throat> I have jokingly said a few times over the years that after being married to me for 43 years, Carol must certainly be approaching sainthood. <laughs> However, when I say that, I'm not using the word saint in the biblical sense of the word. And actually, in the biblical sense of the word saint, Carol became a saint when she was nine years old, when she committed her life to the Lord Jesus Christ. And that was many years before I ever met her. But when people generally use the word saint today, they have in mind someone who is so dedicated to the Lord Jesus that a certain church group has elevated them to a special status and has given them the title saint. In fact, their definition of a saint is one who has exhibited unsurpassable devotion to Christ. And while there have certainly been many, many people down through the ages who have demonstrated a high level of commitment and devotion to the Lord Jesus, that's very true. But, 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 but the Bible does not define saint as a super spiritual person who is so devoted to Jesus that they are to be elevated to a special category. The Bible never instructs us to pray to anyone but God himself. It never teaches us to ask a group of spiritually elevated people to go to God for us and ask for favors. In fact, 1 Timothy chapter 2 and verse 5, the Apostle Paul writing to Timothy, we read this in our public reading of the scripture a few weeks ago, tells us that there is, there is one mediator, means a go-between, one mediator between God and man, and that is Jesus Christ. Jesus himself said, no one can come to the Father unless they come through him, John 14, 6. So there is, there is no special class of people who have a special status with God that gives them an inside corner on getting something from the sovereign ruler of the universe. Our only hope is in Jesus Christ. Our only hope for forgiveness is in trusting what Jesus Christ did for us on, on the cross. Our only pathway to the blessings of God is obeying God's word. And our only hope for answered prayer is by coming to God the Father through true, true faith in the Lord Jesus. The only way to be in Christ is by pledging our loyalty to him and trusting his final words there on the cross when he cried out, it is finished. So then, even though we struggle... 
even though we still stumble, even though we battle sin that dwells within us, the Bible calls us saints. Over 40 times in the Old Testament, over 60 times in the New Testament, 40 of those times in the writings of Paul, we are called saints. The Old Testament Hebrew words and the New Testament Greek word that are translated saint in our English Bibles that means separated for holy purposes. And throughout the Bible, you see, if there was, if there was a, some container, some tool, some oil lamp, or, or anything else, and it was going to be made to be used in the worship of the Lord, then that item was only used in the worship of the Lord. It was set apart from all of the other containers or tools or lamps, and it was only to be used in the worship of the Lord. It was special. It was distinctive. It was set apart to be used for one purpose, and that was honor and worshiping the Lord. So when the Bible applies that word to people, it has the same meaning, that we who know the Lord have been separated unto the Lord for holy purposes. We are to be distinct from the world in our lifestyle. We don't, we don't use the world's language. We don't practice the world's morals. We don't practice the works of the flesh that the Apostle Paul described in Galatians 5 and 1 Corinthians 6. Because through faith in the Lord Jesus Christ, we have been forgiven from the penalty of our sin, and God has separated us from the rest of the world for His holy purposes. There, there are many, many scriptures that teach this concept. Of course, the very word saint teaches this concept. That's what the word means. Separated for holy purposes. But let me show you one other passage of Scripture where this is very, very clearly pictured. It's just a couple of pages away. It's in Colossians chapter 1. And Colossians is the very next New Testament book after, after Philippians. So you're probably just one or two pages away in Colossians chapter 1. And let me read to you just a short portion here from Colossians 1, and you will see this concept very clearly laid out for us where we have been, we have been separated, we have been moved out of one place and moved into another place, and that happens because God does that for us to, to worship Him. Colossians chapter 1, let's begin to read in verse 9. You can follow along as I read. I'm just going to go to verse 14. For this reason, Paul says, and if you wonder what the for this reason was, he had said earlier in the book in verses, the chapter, verses 3 and 4, he had heard of their faith in Christ and he had heard of their love for all the saints. So he says, for this reason, since the day we heard it, we do not cease to pray for you and to ask that you may be filled with the knowledge of his will in all wisdom and spiritual understanding, that you may walk worthy of the Lord, fully pleasing Him, being fruitful in every good work and increasing in the knowledge of God, strengthened with all might according to His glorious power, and for all patience and long-suffering and joy, giving thanks to the Father who has qualified us to be partakers of the inheritance of the saints in the light. He has delivered us from the power of darkness and conveyed or transferred us into the kingdom of the Son of His love, in whom we have redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of sins. Now I know the Apostle Paul likes to write long, complicated sentences. 
Okay, and when we think about all of these things, we think about Paul saying, I am praying, he says, that you will walk worthy of the Lord, that you will be pleasing to him, that you'll be strengthened by him, that you'll be thanking him. Why? And there, there are three verbs, three little words in the latter part of our reading that I, that I, I, instead of getting lost in all the verses there, let me just select out three words that are of crucial importance for us here. First one is qualified. The second one is delivered, and the third one is transferred. He says he has qualified us to be part of the inheritance of all the saints of God that we're going to get through Christ. He has delivered us from the power of darkness, and he has transferred us or conveyed us into the kingdom of Jesus Christ. Now, we can barely grasp all that God has done for us through Jesus Christ. But if we can get just a little bit of a handle on those three words in the text, qualified, delivered, and transferred. Because through, through admitting our sin to God, admitting that we can't possibly get to heaven on our own, submitting to Him, trusting His work on the cross, pledging our loyalty to Jesus Christ, this is what happens. And I'll simplify it. God qualifies us to inherit heaven. God delivers us from the power of darkness. And God transfers us out of that darkness into his kingdom, the kingdom that belongs to the Lord Jesus Christ. So now we are redeemed and we are forgiven. And guess what? If you have made that pledge of allegiance to Jesus Christ, you know what? You are a saint. You have been separated to God for His holy purposes. God has transferred you out of Satan's kingdom into the kingdom of Christ. He separated you from the kingdom of darkness and He qualified you to be in the kingdom of His Son. You are a hagios, is the Greek word. You are a saint. You say, wait a minute, wait a minute, wait a minute. Do you know what I said last week? No, and I don't want to know. You say, wait, wait a minute, Pastor, do, 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 you know, do you know what I did last week? No, I don't know. You don't have to tell me. Do you, do you know what I thought last week? Then it really gets scary for all of us, huh? Do you know what I thought last week? No, and I probably don't even want to know what you thought last week. And God knows... And if you need to confess something to him, then I encourage you to get it done. If you, if, if you need to discipline yourself and get back on the road to sanctification, and by the way, the word sanctification and sanctify and saint, it's all the same root word in English and in the Greek language. It means holiness separated unto God. Whether we talk about sanctification, growing in Christ, becoming more holy. If you need to get back on the right road, then you know what to do. You, you repent. You make it right with God. You get back on track. But if you truly know Jesus Christ as your Savior, if you have made that pledge of allegiance to Him, and you've trusted Christ's work on the cross for you, you haven't lost your sainthood if you stumbled. You have still been qualified, delivered, and transferred. You say, how do you know? Well, a lot of scriptural reasons why, but let me just let me just <laughs> give you this thought. You know what the most carnal church in the New Testament was? The church with the most problems, the church with the most issues, the church that required the most rebuking by the Apostle Paul? 
some of you well-versed New Testament students know it was a, the church in Corinth. The Corinthian church was a mess. And if you wonder about that, just read 1 Corinthians. You don't even have to get into about the second chapter. You start seeing the problems. And all the way through the book of 1 Corinthians, the Apostle Paul is trying to straighten out all of the issues in the Corinthian church. And yet, the Apostle Paul still called them saints. Because saint, and this is so important. I know when sometimes you're listening to sermons, your mind goes in and out, and you switch traction, you come back. and Please don't miss this one sentence. The word saint, that title, it is not a performance word. It is a position word. So crucial for us. The word saint, that is not a performance word. That is a position word. That's why there's no special class of spiritual superheroes that we call saints. In the Bible, it's not a performance word. It's a position word. It it, it describes a position, a, a place where God has put you. If you have truly come to Jesus Christ for salvation, God qualified you. God delivered you. God transferred you into His kingdom. And God doesn't do that based on your performance. He does that based on your trust in what Jesus Christ did on the cross. He opens your eyes to see the truth. He convicts your heart of sin. Then He gives you the faith to trust Him. Many of you know the verse Ephesians 2, 8-9, For by grace you are saved through faith. It is not of yourselves. It is the gift of God, not of works, so that no one can boast. You can't get to heaven and brag about how good you were, and that's why you got there. Because nobody can ever be good enough. And that, and, and that wonderful, amazing, overwhelming position as a saint that God has given to us has four incredible blessings that we see in Philippians chapter 4 and uh, as, as we look at these last, last couple verses in this chapter. There are actually dozens of incredible blessings, but there are four that I see in the last few verses here on, in Philippians. If you are a saint, you have four great blessings. Number one is this, you have a blessed relationship. Look at verse 20. Now to our God and Father... Be glory forever and ever. Amen. This is what we call in the New Testament a doxology. Doxa is the Greek word for glory. Logos is the Greek word for the the word on or the expression of. So when you put them together, you have the English word doxology, meaning a word of glory or an expression of glory. There are several of them in the writings of Paul. This is one of the shortest ones, where he says, Now to our God and Father be glory forever and ever. Amen. But I want you to think about this. The the true and living God is our God. He's not just a God who's out there. He's our God. He is the one we worship, but he is also the one we love. Because he says he is our Father. And Paul's point here is that God is our Father in a family way. Unlike the unbelieving world, unlike those who worship false spirits, we don't go before God trembling in fear, worried about what He is going to do to us. We go to the one who loves us and is our Father, and we go as little children would go to a dad who loves them, and they know it. 
That, that is so different from the worship of the world. And that, by the way, is even different from the worship of the Old Testament, where God is never, even in the Old Testament, identified as the personal father to an individual person. If he's called the father at all, which he does is on, on occasion in the Old Testament, he's referred to as the father of the nation of Israel. But now, after the cross, after the Lord Jesus died on the cross, God is so personal that He is our God and our Father. We worship one who has brought us into His family as our loving Father. And you say, why would Paul add Father to this doxology about God? Why wouldn't he say, now to our God be glory forever and ever? Now to our God and Father be glory forever and ever. I believe simply this, if we think about the majesty of God, I think we might be tempted to believe that our great God is way out there someplace and we better not try to approach Him too closely. That's why a lot of people think of God. God's not here. God's, he's way out there somewhere. And I don't know, well, you, better, you better try and stay on God's good side. I mean, it's just, it's, you know, that's the way lots of people approach God. And Paul says, no, He's your Father. And He loves you. And He cares about you. And so when Paul adds the word Father, he is closing that gap. He is bridging that gap between the sinner and the awesome holiness of the Savior. So as saints of God, if you truly know Jesus Christ as your Savior, you have a blessed relationship. Because the God of the universe is your Father. Not your great-great-great-great-great-great-grandfather. He's your Father. And he's here. And he's, and he's, and he's in this room. His presence is here. His presence is with you everywhere he goes, everywhere you go. And, and, and he cares about you. He is a loving, caring father. We have a blessed relationship. Secondly, we have a blessed identity. Verse 21, he says, Greet every saint in Christ Jesus. The brethren who are with me greet you. And we're going to think about this word again, saint. Every saint in Christ Jesus. That, that's a question that everyone needs to ask himself. Am I in Christ? You see, a, a true saint of God is united with Christ, is bonded to Christ, it is, is connected with Jesus Christ in a way that is unique among all the faiths of the world. You never hear a Muslim say, I am in Muhammad. They'd say, I believe what he said. That's why they're Muslims. But they never say, I'm in Muhammad. You never hear a Buddhist say, I am in Buddha. I subscribe to his teachings, but I'm not in Buddha. You never hear a Jehovah's Witness say, I'm in, I am in Charles Russell. You never hear a Mormon say, I'm in Joseph Smith or Brigham Young. You never hear someone following the teachings of Confucius say, I am in Confucius. They follow their teachings. But there's no personal union with the teacher. Yet the Apostle Paul writes many places all over the Scripture, but he wrote in, in, in Galatians 2, I've been crucified with Christ, yet it's not, yet it's, I no longer who live, but Christ, he said, lives in me. You remember when Jesus was, uh, appeared to the Apostle Paul on the Damascus Road? It's in the book of Acts chapter 9. Uh, Saul at that time, the name he was going by, his Hebrew name Saul, 
He was persecuting believers in the Lord Jesus Christ. He was on his way to, to, to the city of Damascus to, to arrest more Christians, to arrest more followers of Jesus. And the Lord Jesus appears to him, this blinding light knocks him right off his horse to the ground. The, and the Lord Jesus Christ speaks to him and he says, Saul, Saul, why are you persecuting me? Now why was Jesus expressing that to Paul? Why are you persecuting me? Paul was persecuting God's people. But you know what? He was persecuting Jesus because we are in Christ. And anything that the world does to us, they're doing to the Lord Jesus. Anything we do to minister to others, we're doing for the Lord Jesus. You see, we, we have this incredible identity of being in Christ, if you know Him as your Savior. Yeah, bonded together for all of eternity. And so, Paul writes, greet every saint in Christ Jesus. If you know the Lord as your Savior, we are all in Christ together. We not only have a blessed relationship, we have a blessed identity, and that's the Lord Jesus. And that brings us to our third thought. We have a blessed fellowship. He said, The brethren who are with me greet you. All the saints greet you, especially those who are of Caesar's household. You see, if we're really in Christ, we're in the family of God. There's, there's no, there is no greater connection with other human beings than to be in the Lord Jesus together. Paul says, all the brethren greet you. And, and you know what? Most of these folks that he's writing to have never met each other. Paul's in Rome. He's talking about the believers in Christ in Rome. And Philippi's 800 miles away. And they didn't hop in their car and zoom down the road. Hey, let's go to Rome for the weekend. No, I mean, it was, a, it was just this gigantic trip. It took massive amounts of money. Half the people in Philippi probably never even been to Rome. And yet, Paul says, all the brethren who are with me greet you. We're all in Christ together. We, we have this, this, this blessed connection. We who know Christ in this place, Paul says, we send our greetings to all of you over in that place. We may never see you until we get to heaven, but we're all in Christ, so we're all connected. And one really interesting mention here in this phrase, he says, especially those who are of Caesar's household. When he uses the word Caesar's household, he doesn't necessarily mean Caesar's immediate family, but all those who worked and served in the emperor's palace. Back in chapter 1, Paul had said that, uh, that it had become evident, he says, to the whole palace guard that his chains were in Christ. See, they didn't have, when Paul was chained to a Roman guard 24 hours a day, 7 days a week, they would change, the guards would change. You know, they would serve their, their time, maybe their 12 hours or their one day or the whatever. Then they'd switch and another guard would come. Someone once said it would be really interesting, be, be really something to be chained to a Roman guard 24-7. And somebody else said, yeah, but it would be really interesting to be chained to the Apostle Paul 24-7. You think you're not going to get preached to? You're chained to the Apostle. You think he's not going to be telling you about Jesus all day, every day? And so Paul says, hey, there's, 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 there's all these people. He said, especially those who are of Caesar's household. There's all kinds of people. You know, whatever the connections ended up being regarding Paul, there were apparently a bunch of people who served on the government staff in Caesar's palace who had come to Christ. Like, wow. Talk about being transferred from the kingdom of darkness to the kingdom of light. 
What a, what, what a blessed fellowship we have as saints in Christ. And the fourth thought, we have a blessed resource. He ends his letter, the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ be with you all. Amen. Paul concludes this letter with kind of a, it's kind of a sign-off phrase that he always uses. Every single New Testament letter that we have that was written by Paul has this phrase somewhere in the closing sentences. It may not be the very last phrase like it is here, but it's somewhere in the last, in the last few sentences where he says, The grace of our Lord Jesus Christ be with you. And when we talk about this blessed resource, what well, we mean aid or assistance or support, something that will help you deal with all the issues of life. God's, God's grace is this blessed resource for the true saint of God. We, we are saved by God's grace. We are kept by God's grace. We are strengthened by God's grace. We are enabled to serve by God's grace. Without God's grace, we would be hopelessly lost. And of course, this grace comes to the saints of God through Jesus Christ. You know, in this short letter, I said, it hadn't been too short, I've been preaching on it since last June, Larry. But anyway, it is actually short if you just sit down and read it. Do you know that Jesus Christ is mentioned nearly 40 times in this little short letter? Paul says he's a servant of Christ. He, he says the Philippians are saints in Christ. He was in prison for Christ. He says for me to live is Christ. He says for me to die means I would be with Christ. He says live in a way that's worthy of Christ. Have the same attitude as Christ. He said in chapter 3, nothing in this world compares with Jesus Christ. He said we are, we are waiting anxiously for the return of Jesus Christ. Our sufficiency to handle all the struggles of life is in Jesus Christ. He said we just saw last week God supplies our needs according to his riches in glory by Christ Jesus. Forty times in this little short letter Paul talks about Jesus Christ. Our whole life is Christ. Called by Christ. Saved by Christ. To have the mind of Christ. To serve the way Christ served. To become like Christ. That's Paul's message to us. Be like our blessed Savior, he said. We are, we are saints. Not all we should be. But moving to become like the one who qualified us and delivered us and transferred us into his kingdom. He calls us saints. That song we sang a little bit earlier, Beneath the Cross of Jesus, I love that first, I love the whole song. Let me read that first line to you again. Beneath the cross of Jesus, I find a place to stand and wonder at such mercy that calls me as I am. For hands that should discard me hold wounds which tell me, come. Beneath the cross of Jesus, my unworthy soul is one. What a great thought. I love that phrase. Carol and I were practicing this last night. This, that, that third line of that sentence. For hands that should discard me hold wounds which tell me come. What a beautiful thought. Are you truly in Christ? Do you know Jesus Christ as your Savior? Are you certain of it? Are you in Christ? If you're not, I plead with you to make sure today. Let's pray. Lord, what glory it is to know you as our Savior. 
What glory it is to be called a saint, not because of our performance, but because of our position in Christ. Where you have placed us, you, you qualified us to inherit heaven. You delivered us from the powers of darkness. You transferred us into your kingdom all by your grace and through what Jesus did on the cross. Lord, I don't know anyone's heart. I can't see their hearts. You can see our hearts. Lord, I pray for those today who may not be absolutely certain that they are in Christ. I pray they'll make sure today. Bow the knee to the Lord Jesus Christ. Admit our sin. Realize and recognize that the only way to heaven is by trusting what you did on the cross on our behalf. And not just recognizing the facts, but actually pledging our allegiance to the Lord Jesus. Father, I pray that you'd help us today, we who are truly saints. We thank you, Lord, that that's not based on our performance, because if it was, we'd all be sunk. But we know, Lord, that it's based on our position where you placed us in Christ. Help us, Lord, to, as Paul said so many times, walk worthy of the Lord Jesus Christ. Lord, we are weak, we are flawed, we stumble, we grow cold. Pray, Lord, that our hearts would be warmed, we truly know you. May we be stirred and challenged to live for Christ every week, every day of every week. Use us, we pray, in the service of the Lord Jesus. For it's in, him, in His mighty and powerful name we pray. Amen.